Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. It's time to get up and get going, South Coast. It's time for the Tim Weisberg Show on WBSM. Also streaming live on WBSM.com and on the WBSM app. Talk to Tim now at 508-996-0500 or send him a message or a voicemail through the WBSM app. And now, ready to start your day off with a bang. It's Tim Weisberg. And welcome back in third and final hour here on the program. And uh, we are going to be joined by Brian Helgeland at 830. But Ariel, I wanted to ask you a question. Have you ever have you ever tried out virtual reality? I have. Are, are you good at it? Um, No, it's too real for me. OK, I brought in the Quest headset. They have it over in Fun 107 if you want to play around with it. Okay. So, but right now it's the funniest thing in the world looking at Maddie with it on her head, like looking around trying to figure out what she's doing. Yeah, it's super real. My brother has one, so I used his before. It it's was scary. I had a bunch of gift cards for Best Buy that I found in a desk drawer that I'd never cashed in. So on Black Friday, I went down and traded it in and ended up coming home with that. And it's it's a lot of fun. It's uh, There's a roller coaster game on there. There's uh, I play a game where you... Not Beat Saber, because I have Beat Saber, but I, I don't know any of those songs. But there's one that you can play for free on the internet called Moon Rider, where it's songs you'll actually know. And you can, like, slice up the notes when they come and everything. It's a lot oh, of fun. That's cool. So I would uh, I'd recommend playing with it over there before they, they kill the battery. <laughs> I will check it out. Thank you. All right. And uh, if you don't have one of those, uh, you can go and try it out, like, at Best Buy. Uh, someone actually emailed me based on me mentioning it the other day and asked me a few questions and... uh. Hopefully I was able to help you out and get you the information that you needed because it is it is a lot of fun. And I can see how it is, you know, the future of gaming. Now, it's not going to be for everybody and it's not going to work for every game. But I mean, they have an NFL game where you are the quarterback throwing the ball to people. I mean, isn't that the kind of thing we were waiting for when it came to to video games? So check it out and get yourself one if uh, if you're looking to give yourself a good Christmas gift. So uh, I'm getting some uh, some app chat messages. Uh, I was talking about not being able to see things on the shelf at uh, at Home Depot, and RJ New Bedford says the problem is it's over your head, like literally everything, because you're short. But it is true. It is true. He said just kidding, but it is true. I am short. I'm like five 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 six. So everything that's uh, on the shelves there is always taller than I am. And but the problem is. Even though I'm short, I will not wait for somebody to come and help me with things that are up on the shelf. So if I want something and I can't reach it, you better believe I'm going over and finding like a broom handle, reaching up and knocking it down. Or I, I mean, I've, I've done it. I've gone over and taken the like rolling ladder and gone and got it myself. They hate when you do that because of liability issues. But I mean, don't make me wait. It's your fault for putting it up there and not bringing it down where I can reach. Um, Grammy in Fairhaven says, hi, Tim. Yes, more monkeys. You can throw in some cow sills too. Oh, yeah. Don't worry. There's some cow sills coming your way. Uh, Skeddy has uh, some comments for me to share with Brian Helgeland. Uh, and then also, Saki in New Bedford, or Saki, um, so I hope I'm pronouncing that right, 
Uh, let me just click on this so I can open the whole thing. Sir, we have been waiting for your Christmas music collection. You have not disappointed. Seven-year-old David's favorite is Santa Needs a Christmas Chihuahua by Edwin McCain. Mine is Bing and Bowie's Little Drummer Boy, Peace on Earth. But our official first Christmas song is always The Christians and the Pagans by Dar Williams. That That's a great list of songs right there. And, you know, for me, it's about, like, I like the, I mean, don't get me wrong. I like the classic songs. I like hearing the, you know, all the Rudolph songs because uh, the Rudolph's my favorite holiday special. I like hearing, you know, the Andy Williams, the Bing Crosby, the Nat King Cole, the Brenda Lee, all of that stuff. But there's been a lot of 80s, 90s, early 2000s Christmas songs that have been really, really great. Really great. Even 70s stuff, you know, I played... Uh, I Believe in Father Christmas by Greg Lake. Played the Kinks. You know, the, there was a lot of stuff. And every year we would listen to, you know, on Sundays I've, I said we would go to my grandmother's house uh, in Randolph, no matter where we lived, Plymouth, Sandwich, Wareham, wherever it was. And um, we would drive home and my mom would play the Lost 45s with Barry Scott. And every year at Christmas, they had the Lost 45s Christmas song, Lost Lo Christmas show, Lost in Christmas. And I developed a affinity for so many obscure 70s, you know, you'd only hear them on 45 kind of Christmas hits that way. So, you know, you never know what you're going to get from me for the next couple of days. 508-996-0500. That is the number to, to call in and chime in. Also, I want to remind you that next week, a week from today, I will be broadcasting live from just another Phoenix on Fawns Corner Road in North Dartmouth. Now, you know that Fawns Corner Road is a place where, you know, right now there's a lot of folks getting off the highway, going toward the Dartmouth Mall, heading into all the stores, heading toward Best Buy, heading toward Dick's, heading toward Target, Kohl's, all those stores. They're all going that direction. You can go the other way. You can head kind of the north way and you can go and have yourself some delicious breakfast away from all that hustle and bustle. Get yourself a little break. Catch your breath. Prepare yourself for what you're going to encounter when you get to the mall by sitting down and having yourself a delicious breakfast at just another Phoenix restaurant. But if you can't, if you don't have that kind of time, you can always get it to go through their drive through window. So once you get in the car, you're nice and warm. You don't want to get out of the car. You don't have to. You can get it right in their drive-thru window. Omelets, pancakes, waffles, everything. You can get it all right there through the drive-thru window. And what's really, really great about it is that they always have unique takes on your breakfast favorites. They come up with creative specials, but they also think beyond the box when it comes to something like a cheese roll. I always use this as the example because this shows the creativity they have at Just Another Phoenix. You can walk into any breakfast place on the South Coast and get a cheese roll or a linguisa cheese roll. They're probably not going to be as good as they are at Just Another Phoenix, but you can get those. But at Just Another Phoenix, they take it another step. You can get a cheese roll stuffed with whatever meat you want, whatever vegetable you want, a meat and a vegetable, two vegetables, two meats, whatever it is, they can make it happen for you. And, of course, make sure if you get one of those, you get some home fries with it. They have some of the best home fries on the South Coast. And trust me, I know I am a home fry snob. 
So check out Just Another Phoenix Restaurant. Follow them on Facebook so you can always know what their great specials are. And make sure that you stop in and treat yourself to something when you're out there doing all of the hustle and bustle, holiday shopping, get-togethers, all that stuff. Start your day the right way at Just Another Phoenix. All right. Well, there you go. So uh, I was talking earlier about the impending closure of Barassa Hardware. It's going to be closing down January 13th for good after 100 years. And uh, if you would like to call in and share your memories of the store, your thoughts about this, about Therese and Jerry retiring, I know that there are listeners of the show. Therese was telling me they listen to WBSM over there, so I'm sure they're listening. If you want to call in and, and give them some, some well wishes in retirement, and, you know, we're kind of lamenting, too, the loss of that neighborhood store. The loss of that neighborhood place where you knew you could just run right down, get what you needed, and maybe get an extra pair of hands if you needed. You know, maybe somebody's hanging out there just talking to them and they say, I'll come by and help you with that. And then, you know, to pay them back, you just opened up the fridge and gave them a beer. Maybe not this early in the morning, but you know what I mean. Those, those kind of days. Those kind of days when neighbors helped neighbors, didn't avoid each other. When the merchants knew you, you knew the merchants. When you stopped into the hardware store, even though you didn't really need to buy anything, you just went in to say hi and walk around a little bit. We're, we're losing those days. We're losing those places. You can, you can decide to go wander around Home Depot or Lowe's, but... Are you really going to stop and have conversations with anybody? Are you really going to get the, the scuttlebutt, which is the new, the new word? Are you going to get the scuttlebutt of what's going on? As I said earlier, if there's two places, and again, not to be sexist, but if there's two places that, that guys will have conversations, it's the barbershop and the hardware store. I guess maybe in a bar or two, if, if that's your thing. But for the most part, you know, we just kind of look at each other and grunt, nod, shake our heads. But we'll, we'll talk at the barbershop and we'll talk at the hardware store. Maybe I'm just feeling this way because I'm wearing, wearing a flannel shirt today. I'm turning into my grandfather. Next, next thing you know, I'm going to be popping a handful of crushed red pepper in my mouth and chasing it with a beer. But anyway, you are losing that kind of connection to some of these places. I mean, it's great. It's, it's, it's good to have all of these stores that we have in the area. You don't have to go far to shop at a Lowe's or a Home Depot or, you know, a Target or a Walmart or any of those places. They're conveniently located close to us, but they don't have that same feel. And yeah, maybe they can charge you a little bit less than some of these independent mom and pop places could because they sell it more in bulk and in volume and they buy it in bulk and in volume. But you don't have that same personal connection. I don't know this to be a fact. I'm just going to assume there's been many times over the last 100 years that people walked into Barassa Hardware and they needed something because they had to fix something right away, but they didn't have the money and they could put it on a tab. Can you run a tab at a Home Depot or a Lowe's? I mean, I, I, I went to my barber one day, 
My barber only takes cash. And I went to the barber and I forgot to get cash before I went. And at the end of my haircut, I went to reach into my pocket to get cash to, to pay him and I didn't have any. And I was like, oh, I forgot to go to the ATM on the way. And my barber looked at me and said, it's, it's, it's fine. You can, you can just get me next time. And I, I still walked across the street to the ATM and, and got it anyway because I would forget. But do you go into, you know, pro cuts or super cuts and, and, and not have the money to pay? And they say, well, that's all right. You can just get us next time. By the way, grab a beer out of the fridge before, before you go. Sit down, have a beer before you leave. You know, that doesn't happen anymore. That never happened in places like that. So you do lose those personal connections. And, and as much as I don't like to be the, the grumpy old man lamenting how, things have changed and things were better back in my day. Surprise. They probably weren't as good as you remember. What's the, the, the Billy Joel line? The good old days weren't always good and tomorrow ain't as bad as it seems. That's, that's kind of the reality of the situation. We just look at things through the lens of nostalgia and think it was better. But in some ways, there are things that definitely were. And going to the grocery store, the neighborhood grocery store, and having them say, well... Mrs. Jones, I've, I've, I've got your favorite whatever in stock. That makes a difference. And we're trading convenience and we're trading, I don't even want to use the word affordability because of how much things are costing, but we're, we're, we're trading convenience and, and maybe saving a few cents, maybe a buck. for the cold commercial nature of things. And and I, I'm I'm not saying we shouldn't. I'm just saying that's what we're doing. We will get a lot of phone calls today and I'm sure, you know, Barry will especially if he if he discusses this where people are going to call up and say you know, it's it's because of places like Amazon that are ruining everything. Well, what you think of as ruining, I look at as making things a lot better. Being able to order something and having it come the next day delivered to you. Things that you would never find if you were going out into the store. There's a lot of pluses to online shopping. But there are a lot of drawbacks too and you just kind of weigh the good with the bad. All right, I've got to take a break. We've got to get ready for Brian Helgeland. He's going to be joining us in about 10 minutes to talk about his new film, Finest Kind. And we'll take your calls and your questions. I'm sorry, we'll take your questions for him when he calls. You can send them to me via email, tim at wbsm.com. You can send them an app chat. You can post them under the graphic of Brian and I on our WBSM Facebook page. Um, I'm not going to try to take phone calls while he's on with us because we only have him for 15, 20 minutes and I want to try to get to as much of it as I can. So, uh, but that's coming up in about eight minutes. We'll be back in just a few. All right. Welcome back in. So, uh, if you're not familiar by now and, and how can you not be, we've been talking about it, uh, all week long, but the new film finest kind is now streaming on Paramount plus 
It is written and directed by New Bedford native and Academy Award winner Brian Helgland. And you can also, if you haven't already gotten Paramount+, Plus, you can sign up for a free trial and you can get the chance to experience the film and you can experience some of the other great programming they have on Paramount+. Plus. It's one of my favorite streaming services. I watch a lot of things on there, uh, including having watched uh, Finest Kind now twice. And if you haven't had a chance to see it, you want to see it. When the family's coming together for the holidays, everybody sit down and watch it. Maybe not the kids, but you can all watch it and look at all of the great local references and it's a fantastic story overall too. And we have joining us now on the line, we have the writer and director of the film, Academy Award winner Brian Helgeland is joining us now. Uh, oh, hold on. I think we've got him on hold there. Well, they're, they're getting him on the line for us. We'll, uh, we'll keep that going in the background and we will wait until they get us. But if you want to send in questions for me to ask Brian, you can send those in tim at wbsm.com You can also send them via app chat to me. You can also uh, put them on the Facebook page underneath that picture, and we will work that in. So, uh, And, of course, if you are tuning in for the 830 News, we're skipping that because of the, the interview here. So do we, do we have Brian on the line? Yeah, I'm here. Hello, sir. How are you? Good. How are you? Uh, great to talk with you. And, uh, and first of all, congratulations on the success of, of the film. I know here locally everybody's talking about it here in the New Bedford area, but it seems like it's really getting a lot of buzz uh, across the nation. Yeah. Um, I don't really, you know, it's like one of those things. I don't really, once it's out there, it's out there. And, and so I kind of try to let it go, but um, I think it's doing uh, very well. Well, and this is something, this is a movie that although, you know, we know that you came here and filmed a few years ago and, and started putting it all together, this is a movie that you've actually been working on for a long, long time. Yeah, I, um, I, my, you know, it's, uh, obviously people must know, but it's set against fishing, uh, commercial fishing. And my dad was a commercial fisherman for a long time. Um, he hurt his back ultimately and, and had to give it up. And my grandfather, and I grew up in a, fishing household, you know, um, and when I started writing, it was one of the first scripts I wrote, uh, probably the third or fourth script I ever wrote out of many. Um, so it was about, geez, I, so over 30 years ago, I wrote it and I could just never get it made for one reason or another. Um, and I had fished myself when I, I went to SMU, right. And, uh, before it was UMass Dartmouth and, um, when I got out of school, I didn't know what I was going to do with myself, and I went fishing for uh, what, a year and a half, a little longer than that. So it's full of stuff that I picked up uh, from doing all that. I, I read uh, your Time Magazine piece where you talked about, you know, the connection, the, the deeply personal connection that you have to this film, and, and you mentioned that you didn't need a technical advisor when it came to the fishing scenes because you were the technical advisor. Yeah, yeah, we... Um we had a boat, um, the Sandra Jane, it's called, uh, uh, it's out of Fairhaven. And the captain of it, Yvonne Mule, who was a friend of mine when I was fishing, we were on the same boat, not that boat, but we were on a boat called the Settler. And um, he is now the captain of that boat. So I called him up to ask if we could use his boat. Um, so it was a lot of things like that. Of uh, people, uh, my sister, actually, my older sister Kathy was his babysitter. So that's how that's how it kind of t tied in. It all was when we all started shooting. I've never, 
I've never worked with somebody on a film who was babysat by my sister. So um, the um, it was all sorts of things like that, all kinds of connections like that. And um, all the members of the crew on the boat I wrote based on people I fished with myself or knew one way or the other. One one thing that uh, really I caught on the credits, and and I thought this was a, a nice touch, and and hopefully it didn't go past people, but you actually list in the credits because finest kind, uh, you know, it means a lot of things in the movie, but it's also the name of of one of the boats. But you actually list in the credits that finest kind is played by the Sandra Jane. I thought that was a really nice yeah. touch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, well, it's one of those things in a movie that a thing can become a character in a way. Um, a place can become a character. So, yeah, we wanted to honor that. And, and speaking of characters, this is a question that popped up in all the local Facebook groups immediately after people started watching the movies. The names that you chose for some of the characters, uh, the Eldridge family are our main characters in the film. There's a character named Schemo, and people are like, I knew the actual Schemo. I'm one of the Eldridges. Do, were you consciously trying to take names that you knew from growing up in the area and incorporating those into the film? Yeah. Yeah, um, to even uh, this male character uh, is Tony Costa, who I went to, is sort of based on a, a version of a guy I went to school with and all those guys. Um, and it was just people I met who, you know, they weren't necessarily that exact person, but there were elements of all of them that um, I found very, that always really struck me as a very strong characters. And I didn't want to, invent too much because uh, what I could invent um, probably wasn't as interesting as as, as what was out there and, and who were out there. It's such a, you know, the New Bedford waterfront is such a kind of fascinating place full of, um, full of all kinds of um, really interesting people. And, and as someone who grew up immersed in it, and as you said, you know, you were a fisherman, uh, but your life did take a turn where you decided to go into writing films and, and eventually now directing films. But uh, I've seen you talk about it before, but kind of tell us the story of how that came about, the, 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 the decision to, to become a, a filmmaker. Yeah, I was, um, I forget what year, it was 84 maybe or uh, somewhere in there, and it was Thanksgiving. We were going out on our Thanksgiving trip. And, uh, I was, um, I always read, I read like a, I always read when I was a kid and, and my, I was an English major, like the, like the Charlie in the movie. And I just went to Walden books at the mall, um, to get a book to take on the boat, you know, just some kind of pulpy novel to read while I was in, you know, trying to fall asleep. And, uh. I, you see, you see, one of the characters in the in the movie is reading in his bunk, reading an Elmore Leonard novel, and um, I was in the bookstore and I looked down at the bottom shelf just by chance as I was going by the reference section, and I saw a book that said a guide to film school, and I stopped short and <laughs> just kind of stared at it. It was kind of an epiphany um, because I always loved movies, um, but I just it was never an option. You didn't grow up. Um, you know, in in those days, really thinking like that was something you could do. And I, I didn't even think people, except for actors, I didn't even think people even did that for a living. Um, and I picked up the book and started flipping through it, and I just had this thought in my head that I'm going to film school. And I, I bought the book and 
before I went out on my next trip, I sent out about five applications to what looked like likely places to me. And uh, by January or so, I got accepted into one of them. Um, I guess the end of December, it was because uh, I started in January. And uh, the next thing I knew, I, I, I left my boat and packed up and, and went out to L.A. and started going to film school. And then kind of it was sort of no, I went back the next summer and fished again that summer, but there was kind of no looking back from there. Yeah, and by the way, you mentioned the Elmore Leonard novel, and, and I, I picked up on that as, as an Elmore Leonard fan myself. Is, is he someone that was influential in your career? Because you've written a lot of like crime caper type stuff. Has, has, has that been something that you kind of were inspired by? Is, is some of the, the approach that he had to telling those stories? Yeah, I think so. There's a lot of fun in those stories. Um, it's not strictly um, just kind of nuts and bolts crime, but also uh, James Elroy and, and Donald Westlake, and they, they all kind of write in that world where the drama, crime is a great way to to put the drama, or put the characters into a crucible in a way and force the drama along Um because, you know, you're in jeopardy and all of a sudden, you know, everything becomes the rubber meets the road, so to speak, and everything becomes very um, immediate uh, drama-wise. So I always, in finest kind, I always thought, you know, it, it's headed that way so that I can resolve all these issues between all the characters. We, we got a question from Alyssa Botello, who is a Fairhaven-based uh, young filmmaker who is writing a lot of films that bring in the local history and, and, and feature the local history. And she had a, a great question that she submitted where she wants to know about the, the balance of being able to have all the New Bedford references, the local references you have in the film, but still have it appeal to an audience who has never been here and to understand what these references are that you're making that we all know is kind of like a, a little wink and a nod to us, but that other people might not pick up on it and how, how that might have affected the pitch to producers for this film. Yeah, the, the, um, it's a movie can take you to, to a place that you can't go and, and it should. And that can be um, outer space or it can be, uh, you know, uh, running around with Napoleon in, in the 19th century. But um, it can also take you to a place like a, the deck of a fishing boat. Um, and no one in the audience is ever going to be on, the, on a commercial fishing boat out of New Bedford, Mass. But a movie can take you there and show you a place that you don't normally end up. And... Uh, I think it's kind of a, the charm of, of movies in a way. So, and like I said, it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be outer space. It could it could be um, any place. So you have to treat the place as a as an interesting, which it is. But you have to treat the place as an interesting um, destination in a way. Um, and the the local sort of lore or whatever is is part of the charm of it. So I think it's I think it's um, something that an audience is very willing to do in a way. Um, um, my way at the end of the movie, uh, Jenna Ortega talks about high school and, and where she went to high school. And it, she, she specifies Gold House in New Bedford High, but people don't have to know, you know, that New Bedford High is divided into houses um, to know she's talking about high school. So that's a universal thing everyone understands. So to get into the detail of it, 
I think is is doesn't lose anybody, and also to get into the detail of it is is uh, fun because then you find out the the woman she's talking to, um, Mrs. Sykes, also went to the same high school, the same house. So you don't have to know what Goldhouse is to know that they're finding common ground in the in the scene. I can tell you, I'm seeing on social media people saying that you know they're getting tattoos of of, of the line that Mrs. Sykes shares with Mabel about New Bedford right. High, about about New Bedford. So you've inspired you've inspired some new ink, I think, around here. No, that's funny. That's funny. Um, I should tell. I could tell one funny story as far as New Bedford goes. Uh, when we when I sent the script to Tommy Lee Jones, I didn't know him, and I'm waiting to hear from him, and 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 he called me up. Finally, and uh, so I'm, I'm about to find out if he's going to do the movie or not. And to sort of to get the money together, I need him to do the movie. And the first thing he said was, "I can do my bad imitation." But the first thing he said is, uh, "Hey, Brian, what? I'm from Texas, and what on earth am I doing in New Bedford, Massachusetts, with a Boston accent?" And I said, uh, "Well, you don't. There's not really a Boston accent in New Bedford. We don't." If you lived in New Bedford and someone came from Boston, you'd know in a second they were from Boston. They don't sound like they're from New Bedford. And he said, I don't, I'm not doing a New Bedford accent either. And he said, what's a guy from Texas doing up there? And I said to him, you know, when I fished, um, there were always guys from down south. Because, you know, up in New Bedford, it's such a big fishing port and they're making money. And you'd be on the docks and they'd be, License plates from South Carolina and, and Florida and sometimes Louisiana. And there's always Southern fishermen uh, up in New Bedford. And I fished with a bunch of them. And I came up with the his sort of story of how he ended up in New Bedford. And there was a long pause. And he said, okay, I'll, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. <laughs> and we were, we were scouting one day and we were on Pier 3. And I got, we, we scout in a van and we get out of the scout van and, the very first car next that I got out next to was a Dodge Challenger that was all beat up, black, and it had Texas plates on it. And you didn't, I didn't, as long as I had not been in New Bedford, I'm like, that's a fisherman's car. And I t- took my phone out and I shot a video starting on the license plate and then spinning around showing uh, all the masts and all the boats in, in port and sent it to him. And uh, he sent back, like, you know, I, all right, I, I agree. I, I, I believe you. I believe you. So um, if anyone wonders why where the Texas element came from, it was that. And it actually, I thought, enriched the story because it made him even more of a loner than he normally would have been because he's not from around there. And he, he uh, he's sort of far from home. Yeah, I, I I love that element of it. At first, I heard him speak, and I was like, "Oh, that's not a very good Massachusetts accent." But then once I got into it, I was like, "All right, I I get it now." And it it really did uh, make the character uh, stand out more. What, so, how was filming in New Bedford? Filming here in Fairhaven, filming locally, it seems like everybody was very excited for it. Was it an easy process? I know Massachusetts wants to bring in more productions, uh, and obviously, you needed to make that film in New Bedford. But was it was it a challenge, or was it something that you would definitely want to come back and, and do again? Oh, oh no! It was it was a, a dream, really. Um, all these things are run by um, money, really, by how much money you have to make the film and where you can make it. Uh, there was a version of the movie that I could have done about five years ago that was uh, I had to shoot in Nova Scotia, and um, 
I, I, we went scouting up there, and I these little tiny 50-foot, 40-foot boats, and I, I said, I can't shoot here. This is not the story. And they didn't, the producers didn't understand, and I said, look, this is, the best way I can describe this is if I shoot in Nova Scotia, it's a Gordon Lightfoot song, and this is a Bruce Springsteen song, and it's got to be shot down in New Bedford. And then when we were going to do this version of it, they wanted to shoot, um, there's a thing called the zone for the uh, pay rates and things, and it's it's from the, basically from Boston outwards, 60 miles, uh, not 60 miles, 30 miles or so. Um, and New Bedford didn't fall into the zone, and they wanted to shoot uh, in Dorchester. And we we scouted in Dorchester, and I just kept saying, the, no one was from New Bedford, so they didn't know the difference. And I said, this is not New Bedford, uh, not even close. And um, then when we scouted in New Bedford, then everyone was like, oh, I see, I see. They kind of felt it, you know, and it's such a much more relaxed place than than other parts of Boston and so much more, um, uh, you know, a lot, you, a lot of those streets in New Bedford, is, so, there, there's so much pride on those streets of people, the way they keep those houses and things. And, and, um, and um, it's, you know, it's... It's, it's a character. A it's, a, place, it's, it's a character in the film. Yeah, yeah. It's a rela- Yeah, exactly. It's a relaxed place in a way that makes parking all our trucks and moving everyone around very easy. The the city gave us places to park and have our lunches, crew lunches at. It, it couldn't have been. It, it's probably the easiest place I ever shot. So I would, if we ever, if I did something else, I would. I'd be straight back there. Well, that is a question that we keep getting. People love these characters, and I've gotten questions from multiple people asking if there's any plan to tell more story of these characters that were in there. I know you're not really a sequel guy in terms of you know the films that you've done, but people are asking if there's more stories to tell with the, the characters that are in this film. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I don't, I don't want to start any rumor because there is none to start, but, um, you know, they've talked very basically at Paramount uh, Plus about potentially doing a series uh, based on on the movie. And like I said, that's not a, that's just talk. Mm-hmm. But, but that would be the first thing that, if that came to be, that would be the first thing that would come to mind. And in a series, you'd have much more breath in what story you're telling. So you'd be telling a lot of stories ashore. You'd, you'd be... Um, dealing with the shore part of fishing and um things like that so and like i said that's it's it's not um it's a little bit of a a hope at this point it's not there's no reality to it but that kind of thing i think would be great for the for the to explore all that the whole city and and the and what's around fishing and what's even even further afield from it Absolutely, and and hopefully it would be something that could be filmed at least in part here. You know, I know I know with series they tend to have to, you know, go to the places where there's more productions happening. But I'm sure there could be some location filming here. Yeah, well, the the joke really was the added expense, so to speak, of being out of the zone was um, com- was equaled by how easy it was to shoot. So we didn't have a lot of 
all that it's a kind of in, in movie making time is money so when you start moving things around and trying to get from one place to the other and trucks have to go and that the expense of that up around boston is is so much greater that even though new bedford fell out of what they call the zone it was the ease of shooting here ended up making it making it less expensive place to shoot than up there well, just in the final few moments that we have here with you, uh, first of all, I want to thank you for joining us and, and for sharing some insight on the film. But really, the comments that I'm getting more than any, than anything from people is they just want me to say thank you. Thank you for writing this movie, for creating this movie, for directing this movie, for showing New Bedford for the beautiful place that it is and for telling a story that is authentic to the people that live here. Yeah, I don't... I would say <laughs> thank you back because... I'm a New Bedford um, kid at heart. You know, I went to Mount Pleasant High School. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, Mount Pleasant Elementary School. I think it's Pachico School now. I can't remember. But uh, I went to Normandin Junior High School. I went to New Bedford High School. I went to SMU. And uh, New Bedford gave me um, everything, really. So I'm just, I'm just trying to thank it in a way with the movie so the, a, a big thank you to the thank you because uh there's no without new bed you take new bedford you take the boy out of new bedford but you can't take new bedford out of the boy i guess there you go and and one last question because it keeps coming up from people so in the movie and this isn't really a spoiler but in the movie mabel jenna ortega's character says she wants to go to community college at the end of the film She's in a UMass Dartmouth sweatshirt. Should we read into that that she decided to go even beyond community college, or was that just you know a nod to your alma mater? Yeah, no, it, it was that that she she uh, she said you know um, nothing against uh, community college at all because it's a great um, it's a great path. Um, but it was always that in the script. And then I thought at the end because we shot that at the very end, the bridge where you see that, um, and I thought. You know, she's uh, she just says, you know, I'll try, I'll try, uh, I'll try applying to UMass too, and I should get, and she got in, so she's got her UMass Dartmouth shirt on. There we go. So mystery solved there. And again, thank you for yeah. joining us and for sharing insight and uh, and uh, keep us up to date. Maybe hopefully that series does come about. But we look forward to your next project. Is there anything you can tell us that you're working on? Or no, no, not really. Um, I might do a documentary but it's all something i can't talk about yet but um about a, a band but um the um yeah no it's always it's funny it's uh you finish a movie and not to sound silly but you're unemployed so i'm on un, i'm unemployed for about the 30th time in my life and i, I you always I always like that whatever the next thing is, I don't know what it is, but it's, it's out there. I just got to get my hands on it somehow. Well, we look forward to it, whatever it may be. Thank you again, sir, for joining us, and uh, congratulations on making a great film and all the success that it is having. Thank you very much. Um, it's fun to be on, on this station. I used to listen to it uh, all the time. So, Well, come, um, come on back anytime. It. All right. Take care. That is... All right, bye. That is Brian Helgeland, the writer, director of Finest Kind, and so much more. Uh, check out all of his great work. Local guy, New Bedford guy, SMU grad, and Oscar winner. All right, we've got to take a break, though. We'll be back in just a few moments. Welcome back in. Say, if you are hungry today and you don't want to have to cook for yourself, 
Well, head on down to Alianza Restaurant in the South End of New Bedford because they will do the cooking for you and they will make you something really special. Not only do they have great daily specials, and today's special is pork and liver. I know a lot of people love it pork and liver, but they also have unique sauces. They have unique seasonings, unique recipes to prepare truly authentic Portuguese food. And what's really great about Alianza is you walk in, you feel like you're walking into somebody's home, like you're walking into your grandmother's kitchen. She is making you something that you have had your entire life, but putting a new spin on it that you've never tried before. That's what's great about Alianza. So check them out if you are looking to have something delicious Today And also, I want to let you know, too, speaking of meat, if you need to get yourself some meat for the holidays, you want to make sure that you get on down to the butcher shop because Eric has the highest quality stuff there. You want prime rib to serve your family? He's got prime. He's got choice. He's got everything you could imagine. Rabbit, goat. They have all kinds of food. It's not just about the traditional things you would put on your plate. It's about all the different things that you might want to have on your Christmas or New Year's table. And they can prepare platters for you. I think you can probably still sneak in an order for a platter. If you'd rather have him do the cooking for you, you can have that taken care of. And, you know, we're talking about today local businesses that really focus on the people in the community. And these are two businesses that absolutely do it. The butcher shop is a real neighborhood market. You can walk in and get everything that you may possibly need in addition to great meats. So if you want to get some beer and some wine, go on down to the cellar and you can get bottles of wine from $5 to $500. Literally, I've seen them. So, you know, treat yourself to one of those really nice expensive wines if you want and give your company the $5 wine. They won't know the difference. They don't know anything about wine anyway. Treat yourself. Also, you can get everything else that you'll need for your holiday table at the butcher shop, 123 Dartmouth Street in New Bedford. I want to thank Brian Helgeland for a great interview. I think that we got some some breaking news there, although he said there's not much to it at this point. I think the idea of a Finest Kind series, that would be amazing. And so I'm just going to hope and pray. And I think if everybody writes letters to Paramount Plus and tell them, I would love to see a continuation of the Finest Kind story. Maybe they will go through with that and, and, and push that forward. And I'm really looking forward to whatever documentary he's talking about on a specific band. I don't, I don't, do you, th- do, you, do you think it might be? For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.